sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. Well, the main event in religious liberty here in the United States for a number of months has been ongoing conflict between the churches and the governments over restrictions on meeting in person for worship in light of the public health crisis of the COVID-19 pandemic. Our guest today, my friend and colleague, Nicholas Miller, is an attorney, a professor at Andrews University and director of the Andrews University International Religious Liberty Institute. We're going to do a little international uh, comparisons here. Nick, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Thank you, Alan. It's always good to be with you. And I know one of your institute's projects here has been a program a seminar putting European and American scholars together and comparing notes on how differing countries have dealt with the pandemic, yes? Yes, that's right. Uh, last December, uh, we had a conference in conjunction with um, Portsmouth University in England, as well as um, BYU Law School. They have a center of law and religion, and we jointly co-sponsored a gathering of European and North American experts to compare notes on the balance between religious freedom and health concerns, both here in the United States and in Europe. And of course, there's comparisons you can make within North America, both uh, between Canada and the United States, as well as among our individual states. So it was a very rich conference with uh, half a dozen scholars from Europe and half a dozen from the United States or thereabouts, presenting papers about the situation in the various countries. And we have video and these papers online at a website that I will give before the end of this uh, this conversation. But yeah, that was a very interesting gathering that helped us think about this cross-boundary and cross-border, because this is a religious liberty issue that isn't kept to one nation, as sometimes they are, but is really global sure. in context and impact. Well... Are there countries that are more restrictive on religion than some of the American states, or are they much more, um, much less restrictive? What uh, did you learn from your European colleagues? Well, um, I mean, yeah, they're even more restrictive in some places. We don't have to leave North America to find that. If you go just across the border to Canada, you'll find restrictions that are as extreme as any as you'll find here, and some even more so. The Canadian provinces in some places not only have shut down churches entirely, but will not in some places allow drive-in services. So even if you go in your car and you sit in the parking lot and hear over the radio, churches have been criminally fined uh, for doing this. In Europe, it's a little more mixed in Europe. Some places have allowed uh, church attendance to some degree, but in many places, churches are shut down, though the larger cathedrals, especially in countries that have uh, a Catholic orientation where in-person uh, is much more emphasized because of the sacramental nature of the worship, usually some sort of provisions are made 
uh, for worship. And actually, California turns out to be almost as extreme as uh, as any of the European countries and just wholesale completely shutting down churches altogether, at least for inside worship. Well, thanks to our climate, of course, we've been able to have outdoor services uh, almost every week, at least here in Southern California. Yeah. Uh, for those who, who choose to attend, I personally have been choosing to attend by Zoom. Well, California is a big state as well. I grew up in Southern California, so I know, I know the pleasant weather there, but both you and I went to school in Northern California, didn't we? And we know that uh, much of California in the north is uh, has a much uh, more tempestuous weather patterns, and especially in the winter, uh, you couldn't meaningfully meet outside. And, you know, it's just interesting, Alan, from where I'm at in Michigan, where I've lived for the last 15 years, We've been worshiping inside for the last seven or eight months with no apparent ill effect, uh, at least at the church that I've attended. Uh, Pioneer Memorial Church in Berrien Springs has been meeting, but they've been careful, socially distanced, sitting every other pew, wearing masks, uh, even during the church service, no congregational singing, uh, hand washing at the doors. And, you know, it's, it's just... Hand washing at the doors. You mean the... Uh... Sanitizing. The sanitizers. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. So, you know, it, it seems to me that it can be done. Now, there's some other churches in the area that have also been meeting and maybe following these precautions less carefully. And uh, it, I think, Nick, that the biggest problem is not the regulations, whether they're strict or whether they're looser. I think the biggest problem is us people because we had this huge explosion to, you know, at times 4,000 people dying every single day. And we're still averaging in America, we're recording here in February, we're averaging 3,000 a day dying. And it's because during the holiday season, people weren't being smart. And they were insisting on family gatherings and social gatherings that put people at risk and we're paying the price for it that we're not socially distanced. I think that's right. But I think it's problematic to sort of put all of that on the back of religion. Um, I saw a list of outbreaks in Michigan, and they listed the top, you know, the top eight causes of outbreaks. And uh, it was eight or ten. And um, religion came in at number six. And it was actually combined with social events. So it was religion and social events together. Mm -hmm. And up higher on the list were um, athletic events, were um, um, shopping centers, restaurants. I mean, there was a whole host of activities. And if you hadn't combined religion with other kinds of social gatherings, religion probably would have been down almost at the bottom of the list. And yet many people speak as though you know, churches and having churches opening are a prime threat or risk of contagion. And the reality is many other items are much higher on the list. Right. And nobody, for the most part, is calling for an ending of those activities because there are some outbreaks from them. So, well, I think practically the problem is not, you know, like you mentioned your church, which is a large church that is practicing safe practices. So clearly, we do have examples that it can be done safely. But we also have examples, 
And there are several notable ones here in my community where pastors are simply in rebellion. I mean, there's no other word for it. And they have a very rebellious attitude towards restrictions, towards mask wearing, towards social distancing. Um, and the attitude is, well, you know, God will protect us, but if he doesn't, at least people will die, you know, exercising their religious freedom. Do you think part of the problem is the state is giving them is too easily giving them something to rebel against? In other words, we're not really having that kind of response here in Michigan for the most part, because from nearly the beginning, the governor exempted religious services, and therefore the religious community was kind of on its own um, mandate to engage in good behavior, and for the most part, they've done so. I, I think something that we're finding in Europe and dealing with more secular governments even here in America is that they make a list of essential activities or essential services. And of course, frontline workers and food distribution and healthcare workers and, you know, power grid workers and so on and so forth. But in the secular world, religion just comes out as a non-essential or unessential activity put in the lowest um, list for, you know, we'll open that when practically everything's back to normal. Um, the problem is that that religion and the emotional, social, spiritual support that comes with it is viewed by many people, I think, more fairly as quite essential to the human condition. Um, and it doesn't mean that religion gets to do absolutely what it wants to do, and there can't be any restrictions or limitations. But I think that the First Amendment itself tells us that religion needs to be prioritized by society and by the state as an essential activity along with other essential activities, and then the balance should be made from there. But at the beginning, it should be viewed as essential and not as non-essential. Well, I think you make a good case for that. Um, obviously, to those of us who are people of faith, yeah, religion is very, very essential. Uh, the question is, what, you know, look, early on, it was clear that we didn't really know for sure how to do things safely. So I took the position, you know, let's just hold off until we have more information. But as we got more information, surely, uh, and, and my own view was the lawsuits should wait until we see for sure that there's government overreach, even after all this information comes out as to, you know, what can be done safely. And sure enough, uh, now we've seen a multitude of lawsuits challenging various restrictions. Well, and I think the Supreme Court has struck an intelligent balance, right? They've come down and said, look, you can't close churches entirely uh, unless you have some extreme justification for it. So California has had to open some in-person services that they had shut down, at least the inside ones. But the Supreme Court upheld limitations, you know, 25% capacity, no singing and chanting. So it really was a moderate decision, I think, that hopefully will chart a safe and balanced pathway moving forward, and we won't have to pick and choose between either our religious freedom or our health. Well, I certainly hope that that's true, um, but I do want to challenge you on this point, Nick, because, yes, it's certainly true that, you know, fallen human nature tends to, you know, rebel, okay? so. The state says 
you can't do something, then in our, you know, humanness and our fallenness, we say, you know, try and make me, right? Right. And that may be, you know, a perfectly apt observation about human condition. But preachers, pastors who are leaders of the flock of Jesus Christ, who are calling us to live by Christian standards and by biblical values, that is not becoming, you know, to for them to be leading a rebellious attitude is absolutely not consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ and is unbecoming of a Christian leader. And of course, I agree with that, Alan. And I'm happy to see or to say that I don't really know of Adventist leaders and pastors that that fall in that category. I think for the most part, they've done a good job at uh, being citizens upholding the care and safety of the community, even as we continue to worship often in Zoom format and in other ways. But I do think that we need to be a bit more sensitive, especially to the religious freedom of others who have a sacramental tradition, or as the Jew, you're familiar with the Jewish tradition, the minion, of course, right? Needing 10 people in person to carry out the community prayers. And I think as Adventists, maybe we've undersold the importance of in-person worship for our own social, emotional, and spiritual health. And uh, we, need to, we need to keep those things in mind as well. Well, this has been a wonderful discussion about religious freedom and the pandemic. Our guest today, Professor Nicholas Miller from Andrews University. Nick, thanks for being with us as always on Freedom's Ring. As we close, remember friends at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom, we help workers suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org, churchstate.org. And don't forget friends, freedom is not free. Be informed, get involved. Join the North American Religious Liberty Association producer of Freedom's Ring on the web at religiousliberty.info. And you can listen to Freedom's Ring on our SoundCloud radio station or on iTunes. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring. <laughs>